Hello, and welcome to Tell Me About Your D&D Character, a podcast where people get a chance to talk about their characters from different role-playing games. I'm your host, Jeremy, and today's guest is Campbell White, author-illustrator of the wonderful graphic novel Home Time. I'm a huge fan of Campbell's work. I just adore it. I really do. And when I heard he's into D&D, I knew I had to have him on. He was kind of the first goal guest for the podcast. I'm really glad he was able to talk with me because it was a joy talking to him about his book and the second one, which is out this week. Um, we did kind of get so involved in talking about the book and talking about his journey with D&D. We didn't actually talk about a character that much, uh, but hopefully you're going to enjoy it. It's a good episode. I really had a great time. I think Campbell did too. And um, here it is. I've been a fan of you since I first saw Home Time. Thank you. Really excited to see the new book coming as well. Yeah, yeah. It's it, the, the release of it's sort of gotten all spun around, but it, um, yeah, it, it's in the country now, which is kind of cool. Oh, surprising. Excellent. So, uh, yeah, sort of available, which is good. <laughs> well, I know I tell everyone who I know are isn't into comics to read Home Time, but oh, some of the listeners you. are going to be coming to the podcast from from D&D fans. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about Home Time or tell them a little bit about Home Time and what you do in general. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, um, so Home Time is a graphic novel series. Uh, there's two books in it, and it's about a group of primary school age kids. And on the last day of primary school, they're all walking home together and uh, they accidentally fall into the local river, which is the Derbal Yerrigan here in Perth, or the Swan River. And when they wash ashore, they're in this sort of magic enchanted forest and they've got to find their way back home. So it's very much in that sort of story, traditional story structure of like Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, Wizard of Oz, um, that sort of traditional, you know, young adult portal fantasy. But what I've done with it is, you know, transpose it over an Australian context and tried to kind of dig into it how that would function here and what that would mean here and what it's like to grow up in Australia and go to school and what are the, what are the sights and sounds and smells and um, of that sort of experience. Because I think we're so used to seeing um, these sort of fantasy experiences through a, you know, a North American or European kind of lens. Especially and, a British one, I find. Yeah, that, Particularly totally. portal fiction. It's, it's a lot of time it's that British boarding school, the Harry Potter, you're going through into this secret world around that same age range, but it's always that, that English feel to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, I think it's great for, you know, Australian um, children to read, you know, fiction from abroad and, and read, um, you know, internationally. Uh, but, but when the predominance is British fiction or the predominance is North American fiction and the predominance of, of representations of childhood that we're exposed to is, is from those spaces. It, um, it is sort of alienating a little bit. And, uh, you know, I remember growing up and, and feeling like there were no stories that, that could take place here um, within a pop culture landscape. Yeah. It's kind of the closest we ever had was Tomorrow When the War Began with John Marsden. But that's, yeah. that's an older read. It's not really for that age range that you're looking at for, for home time. Yeah, that's right. I, I think that probably the, the closest um, thing I had growing up, uh, the closest kind of pop, pop culture fantasy was, was really round the twist you know, yeah. like the Paul Jennings um, adapt TV series adaptation, which I still think is really fantastic and, and, and captures a lot, of, a lot of the energies that I'm really interested in. Um, you know, it's not without its problems, obviously. There's, there's no. all sorts of things within that. Um, but, but I think it still stands up as a really interesting um, example of, of Australian children's fantasy and um, has, has a lot going for it. So, yeah, I, I think... You know, the, you know, it's a graphic novel. It's a comic. Um, I, I, I'm obsessed with drawing. I'm obsessed with comics as a form. So that's kind of the, the format it takes. And yeah, book two is just coming out. Just came out a few days ago. So yes, like available should now. be. Yeah. If your local bookstore is any good, it should be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or if not, you can always ask them to get it in. Yeah, and they'll, and they'll get it in for you. <laughs> I've got the copy here. What I love about it is I was just flicking through it today and looking at some of the the extra little elements that you put in there. There's the song, the um, oh, here is the sea, the wavy wavy sea, mm -hmm. and it's like it was a 
it was flashing back to my childhood in primary school yeah. and remembering that last day of school yeah and and what it was like and just what i saw the future holding and then going into this this amazing world and bringing in all these these fantasies that i would have had as a child like what would have happened if i'd walked into this magical world and so i think it's an amazing book um but as amazing as it is that's not actually why i got you on the show <laughs> Um, because this is a, a podcast, tell me about your D and D character, and I know that from a number of sources you're into Dungeons and Dragons as well. So maybe since we're talking about childhood and that that age range, did you get into Dungeons and Dragons around then, or was it something that you came no, to later in life? No, so well, my, I think my introduction to D and D was probably through the D and D cartoon series. Oh yeah, which you know, like even that feeds into you know that's the cartoon series is a fantastic portal fantasy where, where the yeah. kids start playing and then they get sucked into the game and i think you know i think it's a wonderfully cheesy fantastic conceit for oh, a children's adaptation and um you know i thought it was really great and then they wake up and they're they're assigned to these classes and they mm-hmm. as in um classes that they have to sort of inhabit and i think there's something really interesting about that and i play with that and um in home time as well where the kids wake up and they're kind of assigned to these roles that they have to fulfill um so, so that was my introduction. I didn't. I was always aware of D and D as you know, as a cultural sort of concept, mm-hmm. and really drawn to it. So I used to, you know, like I was obsessed with like Magic: The Gathering, um, the whole Games Workshop line of um, kind of you know from from uh, Hero Quest and, and Warhammer Quest. Oh, Hero and, Quest. Yeah, and I, and Warhammer I'm Forty looking, Thousand and Necromunda and all of that stuff. Like I'm looking at my copy of Hero Quest right uh, now. You're so uh, like I cannibalized mine once I once I got a bit older. I am in fact I'm really lucky because I cannibalized my copy as well. Yeah, and about ooh, five years ago now, um, a friend of mine who owned a bookstore was closing down, and he'd had a games library in the shop. Oh, wow. and someone had donated HeroQuest, and I was just like, "If you're getting rid of this, can, can I have it?" He's like, "Yeah, hundred bucks," because oh, we're mates. Steal. And I'm just like, "Yes," and <laughs> I actually played it again with a friend um, just last week. Yeah, how does it hold up? It does not hold up. No, <laughs> is... I've read some reviews. It's you know, it's a bit of a nostalgia trip. I'm kind of interested because they just ran a Kickstarter where they um, Hasbro like relaunched it. So I'm kind of interested in terms of the game play, whether they've kept like a classic rule set, but they've also updated it, or because um, it's pretty staid from what I what I've read. Yeah, it's a really good way of keeping children occupied for a couple of hours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if there's an adult <laughs> running it for them, because it's very much, okay, I put the monster out, okay, the monster's dead. Okay, I put the monster out, okay, the monster's dead. And I can see, we will look, when we were playing, we go, okay, so how could we just tweak these rules a little bit to to make it um, more enjoyable and more balanced? Yeah. And I think by the end of it, we were kind of like, well, we just go play in D&D. That's, that's what happens when we make yeah, it as balanced as we yeah. can. Yeah, I think it probably suits a really particular age bracket. Yeah, in a really particular period of time, which was our, which was us, basically. Yeah, but that nostalgia for it is amazing because it does match. I think what the kids are looking for at that age range, mm. at just that kind of eight plus, you're looking for something tactile because you still got the the toys and the miniatures, mm. and you've got the um, the three D elements to it. I'll, I'm going to have an episode on Hero Quest, so everyone who doesn't <laughs> know what Hero Quest is, don't worry about it. Um, just, there's a great YouTube video which explains why Hero Quest is the best thing ever, and I think that's what it's called. So you can go and watch that. Oh wow! That. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it is amazing. But it is that um, you get to be a hero. Yeah. And I think that is like you were saying that you go into all these these games, the Warhammer stuff, the um, the Hero Quest, the Warhammer Quest. Um, so you were aware of all of these, and did you just then naturally go into Dungeons and Dragons as well, or was it something that you? put aside a little bit as you as you matured and then discovered later. Yeah, I didn't I mean I don't think I actually played Dungeons and Dragons until I was in kind of out of high school. And and I think I and I think Dungeons and Dragons like a lot of these games um they're really incredibly complex. Like I remember getting a deck of the starter deck of Magic the Gathering cards when I was a kid for Christmas one year and trying to just figure out like I I didn't know anyone who knew how to play. And so I was trying to read the rules and figure it out myself. Like, can you imagine never oh, having yeah. watched a game before, never having under, having no idea and trying to make sense of the rule, the instruction manual? It's like, it's madness. So with D&D, it's almost like you need a, you know, some, some um, you need a mentor figure mm. to kind of um, introduce you 
into that world. And, and I just didn't have one in my life. And so my friends and I, you know, started gathering kind of books and trying to make sense of it all. And, uh, and nothing quite clicked. And I'd, I'd collect sort of um, RPG game books that I thought looked interesting because I liked the art of the world building. And, yeah. and so sort of cyberpunky ones and um, like bubblegum crisis ones and th- things where I really liked the artwork. And so, you know, I had some D&D ones and, and ones from op shops and things. Um, and then at university, my friends and I were just finally like, well, let's just play. Like, if we don't get the rules right, that's fine. You know, it's just the four of us. So, you know, as long as we can agree. So we just started goofing around and playing and um, and it kind of carried on from there. So we, we had very, very vague uh, interpretations of rules mm-hmm. and very generous with it and played incredibly loosely. Like it was very much more about storytelling, collaborative storytelling with a um, with a loose framework around it. Um, and, and that's how we played. So there's sort of a group of four of us who play on and off again um, from from high school and um oh. yeah we still we still play and then what's nice is like now i play with my wife and son and his friends uh when we get the opportunity so that's kind of like really fun and it's still it's still really loose you know it's probably D in name only really like <laughs> well that that's what i'm finding that people and particularly the new edition of D is so easily adaptable to whatever game people want to run and that all the rules I, i've never really noticed this going back to the older editions but they're guidelines that this is just a, a scaffolding technique that they've given to say these are ways you can tell the story in a in a world that you create if you want. If you don't like it, get rid of that one. That one doesn't matter. Do whatever you want with it. There's alternatives throughout the, the new books. Exactly for what you're saying, that if you don't know the rule, then as long as everyone at the table is happy with it, then you can just you can just roll with it. And as long as the story keeps moving, it's just an enjoyable time for everyone. Yeah, and I've you know, I've been in in games with children involved where you know dungeon masters have been stricter, hmm. you know, and and it just grinds to a halt. Like the gameplay, just it just it's like throwing sand in the gears, you know. It's like, all right, well we've got to refer to this, we've got to do that, and actually, no, you're not allowed to do that because your character class doesn't allow it, or your stats aren't going to be able to do this, or you don't have that skill set, or. Um, and all these no's kind of being thrown up mm-hmm. because because of technicalities and it just kills the buzz you know and so you know where you know whenever i'm dungeon mastering it's just this process of saying well yes and and let's let's see what happens yeah. you know which is the best way to be it's like um you kind of get out of the way of the players as much as possible and you let the kind of the good times roll basically. yeah let's let's see what they bring to the table and what they can come up with because it is that shared storytelling experience yeah i'm i'm always a fan of saying look i can't remember the rule right now so we'll play it that way this time and if it's not right then weird magic that's what happened this time next time it'll be different yeah and as long as as long as everyone's sort of wanting to play the same kind of game basically um and I, i guess that's the most important thing and that's what's been really nice about all the games i have played and um you know everyone's sort of playing with the same intent and and I think that's kind of that's what I find really amazing about about playing it this collaborative storytelling exercise with a loose guy you know a loose um, games framework around it and so you you've essentially got you know four or five people sat around a table and their brains are these like engines of imagination and we're all sort of syncing them to try to like envision and evoke this other world and it's quite um it's quite profound like it's really funny and it's really silly and it's it's you know it's glib and it's um you know but it's also there's something really kind of literally quite magical about Mm. that act of evoking this world together and um you know if you're running multiple sessions you know keeping this this fantasy alive it's um something really special about it there are those those two levels of it, that are shared experience of we are all creating this thing together, that we are sitting down and we might not have the same exact vision in mind, but we are all imagining the same thing. And it's just this, this collective almost of it. And I think there's another element to it when you have those continued campaigns, the, um, the extra sessions and, and ongoing stories where it, it kind of comes back to comics for me. 
because when you have those long running campaigns that might go for years, you remember back to the first session and it has that same feel of, oh, I remember when that hap- that storyline happened six six months ago in a different comic and I've got that comic and I can read it. And it's just that sense of completeness of knowing everything about this world that you've chosen to inhabit, that you've helped create even. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really interesting actually. And um, yeah, the way the way the story builds and builds, and also you know comics comics for a lot of it or a lot of the main mainstream comics is sort of the, it is this collaborative storytelling mm. endeavor. There's this torch that gets passed from writer, you know, creative team to creative team, and and there's this call and response that's constantly going between them. Um, one one really mem- well one really fond campaign that I had with with um, my friends was. Um, that we'd set up and I think it took place over a year or two, but um, we took kind of took term. We, we had our characters, our, our four characters, and then uh, one of us essentially would step out and be the DM for, for this story arc. And we'd write this story arc and prepare it and, and um, DM it for, you know, however many months that went for. And then you would always kind of tag team out the the next player and bring yours in. So the, the culmination of the arc would always see one player character step out and your character be reintroduced to it. So there was this sort of like rotating um, roster of of storytelling and and where people were leading this this adventure and these characters. And that was quite a lovely experience and um, really and interesting. A shifting cast as well. As yeah. the different characters step in and out. So you always have something. Someone might who have normally responded to a joke or something's not there and then you can have when they're back something different will happen and it yeah yeah and the dynamic of the group changes so so it was intent you know they, the four characters all knew each other but there was always one that was kind of being pulled out there's some family drama or they've been kidnapped or there's some you know they found out they're actually you know descended from a royal family and off they went to be a prince for like a whole you know whole season and and so there was all these kind of conceits to bring people out so it was very soap operatic in that regard and then at the end where it's like oh you know you've actually been outed from the family because some you know some historian went back and checked the bloodline and you're not actually related to them anymore <laughs> so now you're a pauper again and and we encounter you on the streets and you know so it's, it's so silly things like that but it was really really fantastic so they're kind of off having their own solo adventure while the, yeah. the group is doing their thing. And then suddenly, well, I guess it's back to status quo. For, for yeah, next it time. loops back. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Or, you know, or, or it's the driver, like they've been kidnapped or something and we've got to go rescue them. Or, um, yeah, so it was really cool. I find that interesting because reading through, through Home Time again, that each of the chapters is from a different character's perspective and you change the art style each time. And you can see, because time keeps passing through the book, that each chapter is at a, moves the, t- the story along, these characters are viewing each other's stories as well. Mm. So things will happen to one character that we don't get to see. Yeah, We might get to see a little bit of, but we don't know why they're doing these things until we get to their chapter. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's, there's all this playing with like point of view and perspective and what information we have and what we don't. And yeah, no, you're exactly right. And and it's it's kind of the the mechanics of all of that was really difficult to work out. So I've got all these oh, really dorky Excel spreadsheets of like, well, if we need this to happen here, we need to have had this happen here. And does the reader know or not? Or they need to know that at least something's happening. So how do we let them know? And um, so it's it was a lot of really dorky plotting, <laughs> which I enjoy. You know, like it's kind of a big puzzle box of a of a book. Um, well, that's what makes it so beautiful, in my opinion. Oh, thank you. Um, but I'm wondering, do you put that much, um, I, not, I don't want to say thought, because I think you always put thought into to stories you're creating. But when you're creating an adventure, do you think about bringing elements like that in to say, okay, so if they encounter this person here, it's because that person's been doing something elsewhere and they're just going to run across them on the road and we'll see what happens? Or is it a bit more of a free form, yeah. we're just going to go with the adventure in front of us? I'm just thinking laying seeds down the track for future yeah. campaigns. Yeah, it's sort of, um, it's really interesting because I I, I, tr- I do two things and I, I do one which is like really broad brush strokes of like, mm-hmm. here's how I think this thing's going to go and here's the world and here's the town or here's the, the big broad plot. And then I'll devise at least like one or two, two or three sort of encounters for the evening that we're going to have. 
And then there's this sort of like fake, <laughs> fake railroading that you do as a DM, which sounds terrible, or it's sort of like, okay, well, we've got, you know, you guys have sort of got three choices as to where you're going to go as you leave. And, and really they've only got one choice. You know, if yeah. you hide it, if you hide it well enough, you kind of go, you go, oh, well, we went this way. And then you encountered this, this caravan of like, you know, mm. of folk and they do this and that. And it's sort of like, well, really, no matter which of the three paths you've chosen, I would have thrown that thing in front of you. Sorry, folks. Um, and so one of, and some of my friends were sort of like, wow, you've always got all these like options for us to do things. And, and like, are you preparing like a dozen things every night? And I had to kind of pull them aside. I was no, I'm like, I'm preparing the one thing, but I'm making you think you've got a whole bunch of choices. I kind of shattered that illusion. But there's kind of a, there's, there's a bit of a mix. But but the other thing is like, you, you I, I can't, if it's a multi-night, you know, if it's a multi-session campaign, hmm. I can't prepare too far ahead because I, like, I also want to respond to what they're enjoying. So they might really enjoy some weird weird aspect that I never imagined that they'd be interested in. And so it's like, oh, well, I better give them more of that because they're really into it. Or um, they're kind of d directing the story in a certain way that I couldn't have imagined. So um, so I can plant seeds and see what they respond to and then grow those ones. And that's what I think is really fun is that sort of um, responding, you know, mm -hmm. and, and being put on the spot as a storyteller where it's yeah. like, oh, man, I hadn't thought this was going to happen. <laughs> I'll enjoy that. I enjoy being put on the spot in that way um, in the sessions and, or from week to week, you know? Yeah. I think that's something that a lot of time terrifies new dungeon masters, that they will be put on the spot and they'll have no idea what to do. And I think from what you're saying, and I very much agree that it's, you come up with the best stuff when you're put on the spot and you just go, it's a goblin named Sam Smorkel. Yeah. And they love this goblin now. He's their best friend and he runs the shop for them when they're out adventuring. Yeah. Because you was put on the spot and suddenly you had to come up with something. And it's going to be memorable. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> Even if for it's everyone bad. involved. Yeah. yeah. Even if it's bad, it's still good. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, as long as you don't freeze up, you know, if you freeze up, that that's what kills the vibe is just like kind of going, oh, because then the whole illusion's shattered. The whole that whole reality engine, the imagination engine, um, sees the gearing seizes up, and you just kind of and and everyone snapped back to the table, kind of going, oh, there's a loss of faith, I think, when that happens. Um, it's the same if you have to spend too long looking for the rule, like we were saying yeah. before. If you've got to look oh, something yeah. up, then it takes more than five minutes. I'm usually just oh I'm five just minutes, yeah, no way, yeah. <laughs> like. <laughs> It's like, or, or you know, for, for, for some, especially when I play with Nazario and his, uh, my son and his friends who are sort of like 11, um, I just pretend I know the rule. Yeah. Like, uh, they're not going to know. I don't know. <laughs> like, this is the rule, and you've got to roll over this. And then they don't know, and, and, and the, the, the fun keeps going. Like, it, um, it kind of doesn't matter, or it's like, yeah, it goes for, it's a three meter effect. Great. Um, yeah yeah that, of course i know that like yeah. every dm knows that um because it really doesn't matter it, it, you no. know it, rather than as long me, as the story keeps going as long as the story yeah, is fun definitely definitely yeah. uh what's what's not going to be fun is me rifling through and muttering curses under my breath three minutes trying to find yeah. the actual ruling on it that's not going to be fun for anyone I think that's a great example because playing for kids, you need to keep their, or playing, uh, running games for kids, you have to keep their attention focused. Yeah. Um, for so I know some people will only run one or two hour games for kids rather than three or four session, three or four hours that, um, that adults can do just because the attention yeah. span, they want something, they want something new all the time. And it's exhausting to sit down at the table and just go, right, this is what we're doing for four hours. Yeah. Oh, I could, I don't think I could do a four hour session. Um, and you're right. I think that's a perfect example. I mean, I don't think the stamina is there or the or the focus. Um, four hours is a really long time, you know, like super long time. I think an hour, two hours is like ideal amount of time for a, for a session with young people. Um, get in, get out. How long have you been running the the games for your son and his friends? Oh my goodness! 
So, so we only tend to do like one-off sessions because we'll do them because it's really unpredictable, like who's going to be available. So pretty much every time it's like new characters, um, we just dive in. It's some weird little adventure they go on. Um, sometimes it's fun because it's new new friends, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to play this for an hour and a half. Um, but we've been doing that since maybe, I think since it was maybe seven. Wow. Seven maybe. I want to say, you know, really simple, really simple versions of the game and, and fun and cute and accessible. And, you know, I've, I, and I always draw up like a character, like a character lineup of all the, all the cast for the kids. Yep. Um, and whatever the kids want to be, like one kid is just like, I'm an owl. And I'm like, oh, great. Okay, <laughs> sure. You're an owl. And another kid was like a fox with one eye. And it's just like, all right, I'll just bang up some simple rules for a fox with one eye like or do yeah. you even need to just like just use human rules that's fine yeah. <laughs> like it doesn't really matter it's um, a special fox today yeah. you've got basic yeah, rules for it it's really cool so there's this just absolute zany like cast casts that of um of characters and um and it's lovely and you get some kids that are really into it some that are kind of like this is, this is a weird way to spend an hour and a half <laughs> <laughs> um but it's you know it's cool yeah it's only an hour and a half, so they're usually fine with, we'll do this for now and then we can do something else later. Oh, they're at school. You know, like they're at school at the whim and mercy of like teachers for, for most every day during the week. And um, so they're very tolerant and used to sitting and like, and doing something <laughs> and listening a bit, to an adult talk. Yeah. yeah. And being a bit out of their comfort zone for an hour and a half. They're, to they're totally open to us. Because um, I was wondering that, I mean, Dungeons and Dragons is kind of the most well known. Uh, role-playing game and the one that you run i know there's a number of out there that are specifically for kids mm. and i was wondering if you'd run any of those um for, for your son and his friends no i haven't i haven't and and part of that is just um I, i'm pretty bad at learning rules like yep. and and so to me sort of like a new game system is it, what what that is is like a new rules system mm. and it might be good um, and there are some really cute ones and I'm, I'm really excited to see, um, you know, excited to see that opening up as, yeah. as something that's happening that game makers are responding to. And obviously they're having children of their own and sort of going, well, this is too complicated for them, but this might be really great. And, and it's something that I'd love to see happening more within educational spaces, yeah. you know, within schools, um, because it's such an incredible, incredible interdisciplinary cross-curriculum sort of um activity it's it's like theater sports but like exploded to a bazillion degrees because it's um it's so there's so many things you can bring into it you know like in terms of all the cosplay elements the prop making elements the map making uh the miniature painting like there's it just so many things that you can pull together. So it'd be really great to see more sort of like educational resources and, and investment in that from the education sort of mm. space, I think. It'd be really exciting for the future of it. Because you're also involved with the, the Milktooth um, Art School for Kids. Yeah, so my wife and I run uh, Milktooth School of Art and Stories and we have for the last seven years. Mm. Uh, and so there, my wife... Um, Elizabeth Murifo does a lot of the arts, crafts um, kind of side of things. Uh, lots of really highly technical uh, old master style painting as well as, you know, sculpture and, uh, you know, soft textile crafts and all sorts of things. And I teach um, comics making and we do, we do do dragon sessions there as well. So my side is sort of like illustration, storytelling, narrative focus, yeah. Do you find a, because that would be around, looking at around age, well, that'd be all ages, I'm guessing, um, the kids that are coming through. Yeah, it's mostly focused on primary school, but we do have yeah. high school as well. Yeah. So do you find a lot of kids have already found Dungeons and Dragons through older siblings or parents that are coming to the school and not the one, maybe not the ones that you're running, but the ones that you're looking at the art and say, okay, we're drawing a character. And they go, oh, I've got a Dungeons and Dragons character. I want to, want to discover how to draw there's, there's definitely like a broad familiarity with it as a concept whether they've played it or not um lots of well i say lots but you know a good sample size um are familiar with the game from their parents playing it and some of them do play it themselves with their parents and then even a few students 
they are DMs themselves. Oh, wow. So they, they're sort of like 10, 11 years old. Um, however, they're not playing Dungeons and Dragons. They're playing, and I can't remember what the game is, but it is like what a children's, you know, focused D&D or, you know, tabletop yeah. RPG game. I can't remember what it is, but that's really exciting to see because I was chatting to them assuming that I knew they were part of a D&D group and I was assuming one of the parents was running it and they were sort of like, no, 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 I'm the DM. And that's so like, cool. Oh, wow, that's fantastic. And yeah. uh, we were sort of talking strategies about, you know, table management and, and conflict resolution and things and how do you make sure they do this? And so that was a really cool conversation to have. But yeah, there's an openness to it and an interest in it, which is really lovely. That's fantastic. Yeah, because yeah. I was just going back to what you were saying about um, <clears throat> drawing the the cast of characters for the for because I think the map making element would tie in with the art so very easily that I think a lot of dungeon masters just kind of go okay so we've got a little box here that's one room we've got another one and they're not really drawn into the the description and the the beauty that can you can have with um, with the art from the games as well that they're not. I'm, I'm kind of losing my train of thought here. <laughs> I'm just kind of tumbling over my words because I think that um, everyone's got that idea in their heads of what their character looks like and having those art skills as well, you're able to kind of bring that to life for the kids at your table, but also that going to, to art classes, kids will be able to do it themselves, that they'll be able to have that imagination and be able to put it down. And again, it's that, that creation aspect yeah, for that, sure. Um, that this is something that not only have they imagined, but they've created, and now they can show other people. Um, this is this is my character. Basically, why I'm doing this podcast. That so they get to go. This is what I've been doing with my time. This is the adventures I have in my head. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's really fantastic. Where it's sort of it, it kind of just branches out, you know, from the session, and before this, you know, before the session at the table as well. You know, as a DM, often you're you know, I would make little props and things. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if there was an if there was a letter the characters were receiving, I'd actually mock up like this, you know, calligraphic letter on old parchment and things, and shove it in an envelope with a wax seal. And you know, it's it's sort of that this is opportunity for a tactile experience, mm. and and that brings the game off the out of our mindscape and and sort of becomes a little bit more sensory. Uh, you know, if there's potions or there's this or that, you know, every every session I try to craft something to bring along. Uh, and I think, you know, in response, people would bring things or they would then go away and make things. And I think it becomes this process of like um, kind of in, in everything becoming interwoven, you know. And I think if people then have, yeah, if it's illustration skills, that's fantastic. If it's music skills, that's yeah. fantastic as well. You know, it's another beautiful accompaniment or, or possibility if someone has placed the flute or the lute or whatever it might be. It's like they might go away and start kind of going, oh, yeah, well, when we were at that, you know, tavern, this was the song that was on in the background. Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I, I think, think I might just... have noticed that when I was listening to to your Dungeons & Dragons podcast, the D&D Club, from oh, yeah. about 10 years ago, that occasionally just a song would be playing that you'd put some music on. It was usually contemporary music, but it was just that added element of yeah, yeah, yeah. that there's this uh, this conversation going on the table and we're going to reference some music and here it is. So you don't have to imagine it. You have it there while the conversation is going on. So you don't have to split the focus that way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. I'm not going to ask you what it was actually going on <laughs> in your head 10 years ago when you no were recording idea. the podcast. <laughs> Absolutely no idea. Um but yeah, yeah, there's, you know, there's components like that for sure. Yeah. Because I was going back to if you'd run any other um, other systems, because I was wondering whether home time, were you drawing on some adventures that you had uh, created uh, for, for that you'd run for your friends or for your son and his friends? No, no, not with that one, you know. And there was some talk about um, early on, when the book was signed about, you know, putting, putting out like, or putting together like an RPG, like a tabletop rule set for it. Yep. Um, and I kind of put that on the back burner because I was like, look, I just want to finish the books and we can talk about that later. So, you know, it might actually come full circle where, it, where it, instead of, you know, I think, I think there's, there's Dungeons and Dragons influences writ large on the book. Yeah. But it, no, nothing specific where it was sort of like, oh, 
this campaign influenced this or this became a prototype for that. I do have friends in comics where that has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, almost like they'll prototype comics ideas in D&D form. And the ones that are successful kind of turn those into comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's not like, oh, this is a comic of my campaign or this is a comic of my D&D group, but just like, this is my comic. It's it, that it, this is the story beat that I felt worked really well at the time, mm. so I can bring it over to another story I'm telling. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's not like um, Adventure Zone where it's like a one-to-one sort of adaptation. This this is them as storytellers, just like you know, here's here's a captive audience. I'm gonna I'm gonna test my craft on them, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is really really clever and um, a really fantastic way to see what lands and what doesn't you know, with a live audience that, um, of people you trust, you know, who's, who's and will give you feedback and immediate feedback. They're going to let you know straight away if it works or not. So, um, yeah, that was, that's really cool to hear. Um, so have you always been the, the storyteller of the group? Cause I know that you ran the games. Yeah. Well, but of the four of us, there were, there were two of us that have a creative arts sort of background of storytelling. So one of us is like a filmmaker um, and, and there's myself who makes comics. So the two of us kind of were far more familiar with storytelling. And then our other two friends, one's like a physicist and one's a, a botanist. So, so the, you know, they're both deadly keen on it, but um, they just come from slightly different backgrounds. <laughs> well, this is what I love too, that so many different backgrounds, you find this, this joint experience of playing the game that everyone gets the the same sort of pleasure out of it that it is a game that every everyone uses their imagination and that this game is something that you can release that through yeah for sure for sure but um just just going back because you've said um this is as a little bit about dungeons and dragons but it will be about you as well that going back you hadn't really discovered D yet but were you already telling stories through your comics like when did that start for you yeah i guess i guess i was like really obviously on a smaller scale when you're smaller um but yeah yeah always always storytelling and world building you know like really interested Mm. deeply interested in that sort of idea of these fantastical worlds and so things like dinotopia and the gnomes and fungus the bogeyman um all of those sort of like uh imagined texts from lost worlds Mm. I always found endlessly fascinating and would kind of craft these worlds and these, all these documents and maps and characters and family trees and Royal families and things and, Mm -hmm. and, and share them with friends. So that sort of world building was something I was always interested in sharing and taking part in and um, joining others in. So yeah, even before DND, definitely. That was definitely something I was doing a lot of. Yeah. And just, just bringing it back again with that, that you, were drawn to a lot of the D&D books and just other role-playing games from the art in particular. You said the the bubblegum um, pop ones. Yeah, bubblegum crisis. Yeah. Bubblegum crisis, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, were there any in particular apart from that that you really remember that was striking and you still have perhaps or that you feel that you've, sorry, that you feel have influenced in? Oh, the, a big influence. Well, look, yeah. the main one is that bubblegum crisis one that I, that out of, out of most of them, that's the one. Um, I did, I, there were sort of Vampire the Masquerade ones that I yes. thought were incredibly cool. Um, it, like really moody and evocative. Um, there were some Shadowrun ones that I thought were amazing as well. I really liked that sort of mix of the fantasy and the cyberpunk, which was really nice. Mm. I've um, just been getting back into Shadowrun recently. Yeah. It's, oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's just something about those corporations controlling the world. It just, it strikes a chord with me for some reason at the moment. For some reason in 2020. <laughs> how could, why, why, why are we feeling this way? Um, yeah. And, and, but with orcs. So, yeah. But with orcs, that's right. And, yeah. and like samurai swords and stuff. And it just, um, it's so profoundly goofy and sincere at the same time. And, um, and really funny and then the bubblegum crisis one was really cool because that was just like page after page of these like amazing mecha designs um that were just really quite unlike the kind of the more british north american role-playing systems and and visualizations and art that, that the other ones were like this was almost just like a big sketchbook this yeah. this book 
Um, and I've still got that. I still flip through it. I'm like, man, these designs are really cool. Um, so those are the ones that are, that are pretty neat. Yeah. Because I think that is such a big part of what draws new players to the game, that you see this amazing mm. piece of art and it strikes something within you. And you say, that could be me. I could be that person on the cover or I get to uh, increase my imagination by imagining what else is going on in this world where that thing exists. And yeah. I think there's a reason. I, I don't know if you've seen it that um, Ten Speed Press uh, a couple of years ago now put out the the art of Dungeons and Dragons, the Art and Arcana book. Oh no, I did want to get a copy of that. Though. That looked amazing, and that's just all like key pieces of artwork through D and D history, yeah, right? It's basically just the history of D and D through the art. It's going back to yeah, Gygax, wow. who was basically just asking people, local neighborhood kids, "Hey, you like the game? <laughs> you want to draw the monster for me?" I love that. That's and I, I love that it goes from that to like this really high end sort of airbrushed boutique sort of. Uh, you know, everyone's a fit model in the eighties with like a you know this high rising um, loincloth. Uh, yes. You know, that's super polished, and it go it runs that full sort of gamut. Um, I think it's really cool. I mean, one of my favorite illustrations is the original Mongrel Man illustration. I don't know. Um, Sorry. With the, the original Mongrel Man, hmm. he's got he's got this sort of like claw and um, this hoof, and he's got this shawl over his head, and I just it's just rough like it's yeah. it, but it but it's perfect it's perfect at the same time it's like it's bad and, and amazing and good but it's also enough to kind of spark that a uh, that piece of imagination and go well i kind of know what that looks like and i'm going to fill in the rest with my brain there's a lot of space in there for interpretation yes. like there's no um who is it like boris vallejo is it who does yes. i mean he, he's the artist who i just picture when i think of D and um, and everyone's just so beautiful and oiled and like toned, yeah. and it's and it's and and the lighting it's a bit is Conan. yeah, and which is beautiful and like and stunning, mm. and everything is just so idealized, and the lighting is just so golden, um, but it kind of also doesn't leave much to the imagination. Like it's a fantasy in a almost like an erotic sense, um, not yeah. not gaudy, but it's like. Um, there's a sensual fantasy that's at play there. Whereas I think with the original, you know, you go back to those really rough black and white drawings and, uh, you know, the pencil colored stuff and, and it's a fantasy, but it's like, it's untamed. Mm. Like it's, it's not, um, it's this naive fantasy and it's almost like it's a really crude approximation of, of something that is beyond being able to be drawn. Yeah, you know, and that's what I think. There's an ex, there's an energy in those sort of illustrations that is very different, um, and it's almost like a police sketch. Like, mm. like what was the creature like? Oh God, I don't know. It kind of looked like this. <laughs> it had and, wings you know, and it had a yeah. like a human head and claws. Yeah. I just I'm just sketching it down as quick as yeah. I can. Yeah, like what are the key details? And you look at it and you go, Good God. I know that doesn't look like it, but I but I get an energy from it, you know. And I think I think they're both beautiful for different reasons. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I you're think... right. The art is so important. The art is so important. And I think, like you were saying, what's interesting is you're sort of saying, oh, you know, you look at an illustration. I might like to be that person or um, in that situation. And and the, one of the things that good art, good fantasy art for me sparks is like, it's more of a question is of what is that place. Like what, how does that place function is the thing that I'm always interested in. So for me, generic fantasy art often fails on that because it becomes too familiar. Mm-hmm. And, and I kind of go, oh, there's an elf and there's a gnome and they're in a forest. And I'm kind of like, no, I kind of, I, I, I think I know yeah. how that functions. Yeah. But I look at like a shadow run picture. I'm like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> like, there's an orc like hacking into an ATM on the side of a road and there's like a dragon flying in the, like, what are the rules of this place? How does this There's a shootout going on in the background and there's someone with like a chip in their head. And it's like, well, how are these people, how do these people even know each other? Yeah. And everyone's wearing trench coats and and it's wet and neon. And, and so, so for me, that's what good fantasy art does. It's kind of like, how does that place operate is, Mm. is what I want to know. It makes um, you ask those questions mm -hmm, of, mm -hmm. of what is this world? I want to know more. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, for sure. So that for me is what I look at, look for when I look for fan, good like fantasy fantasy work. I was about to ask, have there been any any um, adventures or characters that have kind of sparked it in you where you want to sit down and then go, I just want to draw that and get it down on the page. But I feel that it probably going the opposite way for you, that you've seen something on how do I bring that into a game that yeah. you've seen? How does this work? How can I make that into an adventure? Oh. But if there's any, any adventures that you remember that you're like, I really want to sketch this out and just have that little scene that everyone really loved or that I really enjoyed... I mean that was that was something that I that I, I play with all the time. I almost feel like I always want to turn my D, my D and D sessions into comics, mm. but they just take so long to make. Yeah. <laughs> even even really quick comics still take a long time to make. Like the but but there's um, at the most recent campaign that my wife and son would we were doing together, we did turn into like a zine together, mm. which is called Welcome to Whispering. Um, which was, it was like, I was the DM. It was set in a uh, port town called Whispering. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, we created this map together and we created all these characters, um, this sort of adventuring family that was just just essentially us um, as fantasy versions. And then and this cast of characters in the village. And so we all worked together on this gorgeous little zine um, that we made. And that's something that, I'm taking some of our adventures and expanding them a little bit and, and playing around with turning that into a comic. Um, Cause I think there's sort of something really fun and exciting about the adventures that the three of us are doing that um, uh, we'll see, we'll see where this yeah. goes. <laughs> Cause you've kind of already got that story laid out for you, you know, what to an extent. Just, yeah. 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 And, and whether it's literally that one or whether it's just sort of a different adventure with all those characters that are in that town. And I just kind of feel there's something exciting we can do there. Do you find you prefer being dungeon master or would you rather take a character out and um, give them a spin sometimes? I think I generally prefer being the DM. Yep. Generally. Yeah. I I do like, I, I do like, um, when I get to be a character and sit back and just sort of let someone else do all that, all that work. But uh, for the most part in the groups that I'm in and, and the people I'm around, it works. It's like, I'll be, I'll be the person in the room or, or in the campaign when we're setting up who's had the most experience doing it. Mm. So, so people will default to me doing it, which is fine. Cause I, cause yeah. I like it and, and it's sort of fun and I enjoy just throwing people into weird situations and seeing how they respond and, um, yeah, yeah. So I guess I guess I do prefer being the DM, which comes to with that world building as well that I really yeah. enjoy. I was going to say because if you've already kind of sketched out a map and it's ready to go, it's like why not use it uh, next yeah. time it can run a game. Yeah, yeah. When you are bring, creating games, do you similar to home time? Do you draw on the the landscape and the creatures around you, or things that stories from the local area? Um, I'm thinking that Australia is rich with with heritage and, and I guess mythology is the word I'm going to use, but it doesn't really seem to have progressed into, into role-playing games yet. It's something that I think that we really could draw on and treat respectfully, obviously, and find ways to just educate more people about it. Yeah, that's really interesting. I haven't, I haven't quite as much. Sometimes I'll set adventures with my son and his friends in sort of the local area so that they'll be aware that it's, you know, instead of the primary school being called, you know, Bell Primary School, it's called the Cracked Bell School for Bad Children. And the the adventure sort of starts there and they'll all sort of giggle and go, oh, I know where this is set. Um, So there's little things that I'll do like that, but nothing deep um, about the mythology or, or place or history as such. It tends to be far more an avenue for me to, play around and mess around with those traditional kind of European myths and structures and kind of poke at those and have a bit of fun um, playing in someone else's kind of um, toy box for a while, I guess. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. And I'm not sure how much work's being done in what you're talking about. I know there's the Dungeons and Drongos podcast. Yes. Um, uh... Which I think... Is, it seems wholly dedicated to maybe exploring in the most obscene and profane way possible all possibilities of um, of Australiana in fantasy. 
uh, yeah, but, that, but I think you're right. I think there's some interesting possibilities for sure. So just going back to what you were saying about though tweaking those worlds, the, the other people's toy box that you've changed, is there one in particular that you really remember that just ever not that everyone recognized that you tweaked just enough that the the group was like how did you come up with this and you're able to say well actually it's this actually it's something that you're going to recognize oh that's a great question and i can't think of any <laughs> that's that's kind of good because it means that that you're, you're working with um what you've got and they don't even notice they don't even realize yeah no i can't or maybe a better one while you think of that. Is there a favorite one that you like to go to? Like a, obviously Lord of the Rings is kind of the go-to for a lot of people, but is there another fantasy property or a myth that you like to draw on and go, okay, well, we can just change things a little bit about this and make it something fresh and original that I know my friends are going to enjoy? Yeah, I think, I think one of the things, I mean, one of the things, perhaps it's less about that, um, you know, this properties um that i that i'm mining and more about i guess even just that that entire setting and and that the entire um type construct of this fantasy world that we're all engaged with and one thing i'm constantly doing is kind of i guess playing around with ideas of morality Mm -hmm. and and who we empathize with within a story and constantly upheaving that for for players so if they're sort of you know, if there's orc characters or if there's monstrous characters within a setting, you know, it's just constant, like, challenging of, of are these monstrous characters, are these conditions um, or are the conditions they're living under, like, wholly inhumane and, and forcing these forcing this behaviour? And, you know, like, I'm not alone in doing this as a dungeon master. You know, it's a you know, classic thing. But, but you know, constantly subverting and, and asking players to reassess, you know, who are they? Who are their allegiances with? Who are they empathising with within any given system, uh, within any given situation? And like, what are the what are the systemic sort of structures that are causing these issues? So, you know, uh, the games I play with my uh, Nazario and Liz, you know, there's there's constant sort of environmental, socioeconomic sort of abuse issues within them, and without getting dark or grim, but you know, it's sort of like well. If there's this thief character, like, well, why are they stealing things? You know, and you've got this castle that's filled with coins and glittering gold and a royal family that's well positioned. You know, can we move towards a, you know, like a more socialist structure? And so it's just the, you know, it's that challenging all the time of like, maybe this system isn't working. Maybe that system isn't working. Maybe this person isn't good. Maybe this person isn't bad. Maybe it's far more complicated constantly, constantly, constantly. So, um, I enjoy sort of playing with that. I think is is sort of maybe more more how I play. Um, it's kind of like about giving them giving those giving them those choices that mm. um, you've set up the the example of why is the thief stealing? It's like well now their character can make that choice. Do they just turn them in, or do they look at the reasons why? And again, start to I guess um, invest and investigate the world building that you put out. Yeah, yeah. And you can, you know, you can be kind of heavy handed with this stuff as well. You know, you can have this weird little town that's like a little, there's this autocratic leader and there's like, there's this weird way they go about doing things and they've done it this way for a hundred years, but it's also terrible. And they're just totally wed to it. And, and in a fantasy kind of setting, your players can sort of like saunter into town and kind of go, well, hold on, can't we do things why don't you guys do this? And it can fix the town, you know, like that. I think that's sort of one thing that's fantastic about this is we can enact social change in this sort of really direct dynamic way through games. Um, yeah. And social change in all sorts of ways. And I mean that, um, I guess in its most literal sense, because as we go through any sort of adventuring, uh, you know, as adventurers, the, the entire process is one of change, you know, otherwise your characters would just stay at home and, and you know, like sit on the sofa. The whole idea is your character moves through this world and changes it. So how are they changing it? Um, and so, yeah, in, really engaging with that actively though, not just like storming through and, um, you know, I'm going to take this thing and I'm going to destroy that skeleton. I'm going to grab that magic wand and off I go and off to the next adventure. It's sort of really engaging with what what is the change that you're doing. 
that they have a reason for why they're going out and doing these things and at the end of the adventure they will have leveled in some cases but they will also have progressed along this this journey that they're on and yeah. that's kind of their change that they've got a goal in mind it's not just i'm going to take all the treasure and chat and ignore what's happened it's still they're affecting the world around them for their ends because they are a living breathing creation for them for the for the player yeah for sure and and you know i think i think there's a far more um from from the reading i'm doing online there's far more want in desire and an acknowledgement of sort of the complexities and the legacy of these sort of a lot of these rpg systems mm. of of sort of this colonial um sort of fantasy that they do inhabit mm. you know or that their origins can be drawn from and and that's not to say you throw the baby out with the bathwater sort of thing but it's just this this awareness of like well, where do these story structures come from and what's the origin of them, the history and the, and the purpose of them culturally and historically and, um, and just being really cognizant of that, you know? Yeah. I think that's a, always a great way because you can take those stories that we've had for so long and go, okay, well, why are we telling this story? Like you're saying, what's the, the purpose behind it? Well, how can we change that to a story that we want to tell now? That yeah. um, what is this story got how does this story relate to the modern day? How do we do that? And a storytelling game like Dungeons and Dragons, like any of these role-playing games, they're built for this, to make us question what's going on around us and to give us options. It's kind of the um, the future problem solving to, to go back to when I was in school, that you find see a problem that's come up and you go, well, what do we do about it? How can we find some solutions for it? Yeah, for sure. And, and I think like you're saying, you know, it's almost like the game itself is the perfect engine for interrogating itself. Do you know what I mean? And for yeah. players to sort of be really reflexive about it and it gives them that opportunity. So I think that's one of the, you know, the most exciting, fantastic things about the format is that it's built, almost inbuilt to be self-critical. And of course you have to be, um, you know, construct an environment where that's permissible and encouraged and you have to be around peers that are, and, and companions that are going to um, encourage that sort of play. But, but, it, but it's built into it. it. It's baked into the very system itself. So I think that's really exciting. Well, I think we could go on and on <laughs> about this. Um, I am also aware that a lot of my episodes are starting to get much longer than I was um, originally planned. So I think we'll have to, to wrap it up, unfortunately, there. But um, thank you so much for, for speaking with us today, Campbell. Oh, um, pleasure. Where can people find you online um, if they're interested in your work or more of the things that you've said? If they want to find Home Time, obviously go down to your local bookshop um, and purchase it there. Yep. But um, if there's Instagram, and get it websites, at the local library as yes, well. Go to your library. Your <laughs> um, yeah, Instagram and Twitter I'm on a lot uh, and it's just at Campbell White. So it's just my name. And you'll see me goofing off on there a fair bit more than I should. Um, you can find me at milktooth.com as well, where I, uh, where you'll find all the information about the School of Art and Stories that I run. And um, yeah, I'm just around. So awesome. yeah, get in touch. Don't be shy. Awesome. Again, thank you for coming on. Now, one thing I do ask all of my guests to do is to say goodbye to our listeners as a character that you particularly enjoy, um, <laughs> or possibly even just a villain that you enjoy when it's the Dungeon Master. Someone that you, as always, it doesn't have to be someone that everyone's going to recognize, but just a way of you farewelling people and thanking them for, for their time being here today. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll be one of the characters that I was in a um, previous campaign with some comics making friends. Um, the character is called Lamb, and it was a um, it was actually a mongrel man character. It was a, it was a homebrew character, uh, and they were uh, from a caravan of potter pottery making um, folk. Uh, I'm going to get you back on just so we can talk all about <laughs> Lamb one time. Well, they're, and and they're all um, uh, yeah, so they they're all mongrel folk, and their whole idea is that they are actually rather than being cast aside and the sort of um, the outcasts of all, all peoples within the world, they actually see themselves as sort of the end, the apex, the end result of all, um, all kind of races coming together. Um, and so they don't see themselves as, as outcasts. They see themselves as kind of the, cho the chosen people mm. and they travel around making pottery and selling yes. it. And so my character's this young character called Lamb, who's quite quite lovely and sweet, and 
um, utterly useless as a warrior, oh, completely yeah. unnerved to the world, <laughs> and <laughs> finds finds himself um, in this in this sort of um, adventure. So I'll say goodbye as them. So, <laughs> um, what was their voice? I have to remember. It was like it was very little. It was like, oh well, goodbye everybody. Thank you for having me on this big adventure. It's been such a pleasure. Bye bye. <laughs> And that's the episode for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you had a good time. Please leave a review on any podcast service that you found this on. Share us with your friends. That would be great too. Subscribe, even better. Hopefully we're going to get some more of these out every week. There's a few guests lining up, which I'm sure you'll really enjoy hearing about. You can leave comments um, on the Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash tellmeaboutyourdnd. There's an Instagram account at tellmeaboutyourdnd. There's a Twitter account at tellmeyourdnd because there's not there's too many character limits. There's some character limits on uh, on Twitter. You can shoot me an email, tellmeaboutyourdnd at gmail.com. You can also send me emails telling me what guests you'd like to have me talk to. Um, Maybe there's somebody in the world that you think would be a great D&D player or you want to hear about them. Maybe some goals I'd like to set, which would be great. Send me an email. Uh, send me your backstory of your character if you want so I can put it in a mini-episode like the one that just went up uh, about Arcane and um, the Elder Evil Bolothamog will host that. During the month of October, I am part of the Polished Man campaign. Uh, where I am painting my fingernails to raise money for children in need. There will be a link to that in the show notes. Uh, If you'd like to donate money, however much you're willing to give, that would be great. Um, Every little bit helps. Honestly, it is um, something that I feel very strongly about and would like to use my platform, small as it is, to to assist um, in any way I can. I do have another podcast of Dyson DMs, which is also hosted on SoundCloud, which is where you found Tell Me About Your D&D Character, which is where we're hosted. You can find us on anywhere podcasts are found, but Apple Podcasts and Spotify are the most common ones where you can follow, like, subscribe, and review. The art for Tell Me About Your D&D is by Tori Tedeschi. The music is by Poddington Bear. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, stay safe, everyone, and may all your hits be crits. <laughs>